he thought it was going to be a normal business trip. He packed his stuff up as usual, but he had been having some spiritual conversations, some spiritual thoughts, so someone had given him some scripture, so he tucked some scripture along with him. And as he was on his trip, he began to read the scriptures. And as he was reading the Bible, as he was reading it, thinking about it, it started to work deep into his mind, into his heart, and he said, hmm, there's something to this. And then out of the blue, and on the side of the road, there's a stand and a guy there who uh, came alongside of him, and he rolled down the window or looked out the window, and the guy saw inside that he was reading the scriptures. And the guy said, do you know what you're reading? And the guy said, how can I know what I'm reading? Because the Bible's kind of hard unless somebody explains it to me. So he says, hop on in. So the guy hopped in the, with him. He starts going on back to his house, and they start reading. They're reading from the book of Isaiah, and they're reading it, and they're hearing about it. And as he reads it and hears about it, he becomes convicted of his need for Jesus. And he confesses with his mouth the Lord Jesus and asks him to forgive him of his sins and come into his life. And as he's going a little bit farther, all of a sudden he sees some water. And he says, hey, there's some water there. What's stopping me from getting baptized? And the guy that jumped in with him said nothing. So they got out, pulled out, got into the water, went into the water, and was baptized, and got back in, and headed back home to Ethiopia, and the gospel was spread. That's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip and the book of Acts. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch had been reading the scriptures in the book of Isaiah, needed some help, heard the gospel. Philip explained it to him. He confessed with his mouth the Lord Jesus. He accepted him, sees some water, stops and says, I should get baptized, and was baptized, and went on back to Ethiopia, and the gospel was spread, church history says, through that Ethiopian eunuch, through his unbelievable conversion. What I'm going to talk about for the next two weeks is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Today we're talking about baptism. First of all, I want to say this, baptism does not have to be a matter of division. There's a lot of differences of baptism in different denominations and churches. It doesn't have to be a matter of division, although it is a matter of importance. So that's how we're going to look at it. But the question ultimately is this, what is the basis of baptism? Before we go any further, the basis for baptism is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross that gives baptism any meaning whatsoever. Apart from Jesus, apart from the gospel, there is no meaning in baptism. Baptism gets its meaning from the gospel. And baptism is not our idea. It was God's idea. It's always been God's idea. In the Bible, John the Baptist baptized. That was God's plan. The disciples with Jesus baptized. That was God's plan. And then Jesus at the end before he goes, we'll look at in a few minutes, gives the great commission. And he told the church to baptize. Preach the gospel and baptize. It is God's idea. But the key and the thing that gives baptism its importance is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where it is centered on. Here's my concern and why I'm preaching on it today. And is... Because I think baptism, for many Christians and for churches, has become very trivialized. It's tagged on at the beginning of a service. It's tagged on at the end of a service. They have no idea why they're doing it. People are just jumping in. They're jumping out. They're not sure why they want to do it. It's just not a big deal. It's become very trivialized in churches. And that's a problem. Because baptism is 
important. And there's also, I think, my concern, there's just a very take-it-or-leave-it perception to baptism these days. You know, I can, I'll get baptized, I won't get baptized. doesn't really matter. I don't think that's biblical. And I think, in some ways, it's being falsely proclaimed. As it's more, as it's, it is important, but it gets talked about as it's more than actually what it is. And so I think that's also a concern. So all those things are my concern and why, as a church, I wanted us to talk about it. And I believe, ultimately, the concern and why people feel this way, why there is a trivialization of baptism, why that there's this take-it-or-leave-it perception of baptism, and why it gets falsely put in a place where it shouldn't get put into a place is because we have a way too calloused and way too casual approach to the gospel. Even as believers, even as people who say they love Jesus and want to follow Jesus, our approach to the gospel and to the word of God is unbelievably, at times, calloused and casual. We will just, the gospel, I believe Jesus, it's good, that's nice, I'm going to go on with the rest of my life. And the word of God, now the Bible's there, I'll look at it, I'll read it, but if it doesn't really fit with my experience, if it doesn't really, if it doesn't really jive with me, then I'm not going to follow it. Even though I say I'm a Christian, the two go together. It's God's word to us, it's the gospel and the word of God. How we learn and grow is from That's how God speaks to us. When you read the Bible, it is God literally speaking to you. It is the Word of God. And when we come to the Bible with this very casual or calloused approach, we're going to have wrong views about things that are very important. Why do we feel that way? I think in all of us, in every human being, there is an approach to be a legalist, and a liberal, and then the third way is the one we want. A legalist is this. A legalist, even in the church, a Christian, is just kind of a do-gooder. You go into the, you, you're, you do good. You've done good things. You're a good person. You even accepted Jesus, and you do good. And so because you do good, you're okay. Everything's just going to be fine. It's really based on what you do. Your goodness gives you your justification and your satisfaction and your peace. Doesn't You don't really... Compare that to what Scripture says. Then there's the other person who's just kind of do whatever. Even in church. They say they love Jesus, but they're just going to do whatever they want. It just doesn't matter. They, they, they maybe prayed some prayer. They maybe follow Jesus. But they're just going to do whatever they want and however they want to live their life. God's word has no impact on them. But they will tell you, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I just don't like what God says. That's not a Christian. We can struggle with what God says. But if the Holy Spirit is in you, the life of God is in you as a Christian, we can never say, ah, I'll just do whatever I want, and I'll just keep claiming the name of Jesus. I think that has affected the church in America and all of us individually, and we struggle between the two constantly. Being legalist, and we get our satisfaction in our good works and our good deeds, even when we never say it that way. Or in our liberalism, where we just do whatever we want. Neither one of those are the gospel. The third way of life is the gospel. Where we recognize that it's not our good works that are going to make us right with God. And we don't get to say whatever we want to do. 
But we live a life, the gospel says, of repentance and faith, where we're constantly realizing, wow, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And I cannot do what I want to do. I need somebody to help me do what I want to do. So I have to have faith. I'm going to repent and I'm going to believe. I'm going to repent and I'm going to believe. That's the third way. That's the way of the gospel is constantly repenting and believing. Repentance and faith. And that's why I think we believe if we are off that third way, which is the right way, we're going to struggle with very important things that the Bible talks about. And baptism is one of them. We as a church are what we would say credo We believe in a credo-baptism, which means we believe that a person trusts by faith in the gospel and then they get baptized. Or after the fact they've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have had been converted. And then there's, um, we have a baptistic history. This church is names changed about five times, and who knows, maybe changed five times in the next 50 years too. But we have had a, uh, we have a baptistic history. However, we would say now we are a non-denominational church, and I love it, and we're learning to be, know what that means. And so credo-baptism is not a Baptist thing. It's more of a, it's an evangelical thing that would fit in Bible churches, Baptist churches, uh, community churches, independent churches, evangelical free churches. Believe in a credo-baptism. And here's our cornerstone church position. If you get our constitution to be a member of our church, you would have to agree to hold to this, um, you know, your agreement with the constitution. This is our statement, which I thought would be the best way to approach this. This is our cornerstone church position on baptism. It's not, it's okay. Uh, We could look at it, but I will read it. um, And this is our position. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has committed two ordinances to the local church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We believe that Christian baptism is the immersion of the believer in water in the name of the triune God. We believe that baptism is an act of obedience of the believer, but not necessary for salvation. That is our church's position on baptism. And I think it's good. And I'm going to try to explain this morning why I think it's good, why I think it is helpful that we see in baptism as a very important and try to lift up in our church and in our own lives baptism and your own baptism this morning. But ultimately, what is baptism? What is baptism? We say in our church's constitution, in our position, that baptism is an ordinance. And we get that from Matthew 28, 18 and 19. We're going to look at a number of different verses today, not land on one passage as usual. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is the Great Commission. This is what Jesus said to his followers right before he left. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, and baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what we are called to do. So we would say it's an ordinance given to us. It's a call to do that God has given the church. And some churches say, well, um, I always heard it was a sacrament. There's, you know, what's the difference between a sacrament and an ordinance? And, uh, and I don't really honestly think that there is too much of a big deal on that one. It, because most groups that define the sacraments and the ordinance, they usually explain what they mean. 
And a lot of times it comes down to semantics. There is a view of the sacrament where somehow it's God's grace being given to you in a way that gives you new life. The Bible does not teach that. But a sacrament is also, the word can mean a testament of inner grace. So you see or hear somebody at our church, which we would agree with, there's an inner grace that has been done in us. So if you are talking to somebody in your, our church and you come up from a different background, the nice thing about Cornerstone is there has become over the years a mix of different backgrounds of people, of denominations, and they, I think it's wonderful. I love it when I hear the differences. It's good because as long as we hold to the gospel. So if you hear somebody say baptism is a sacrament or baptism is an ordinance and that's how they say it, don't get all worked up and, and run away. Because a sacrament could be a testament of inner grace, and it's a call to do what God has called us to do. So in some ways, it's kind of a wash on how you say it. But we say that baptism is an ordinance. It is ultimately what God told us to do. It's what Jesus told the church to do. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, and baptize in the name of the Father. And baptism is an ordinance. It's also an occasion for being immersed in water. All through the New Testament, the Greek word, when it's talking about baptism, baptizo means to dip or immerse or to plunge. All through Scripture. Not only that, and right behind our screen is our baptism, where we have a pool where you can get dipped, immersed, or plunged, depending on how big you are. Um, and if I'm trying to uh, dunk you or not. But also, that's how the Greek word is used all through the New Testament. It's about dipping, immersing, plunging. That's the word. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 5, it talks about when Jesus baptized, or John was baptizing his followers, they went into the river. They actually went into the river. Mark 1.10 says, Jesus, at Jesus' baptism, he came up out of the water. And then with John 3.23 says, they were baptized, John baptized at Anion near Salim because there was much water there. And even with the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, when he's driving around, clearly Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they known about baptism. Every culture has followed some kind of baptism. They both knew that the cup of water that the Ethiopian eunuch wasn't enough to splash on him. So he saw water. And when he saw the water, he said, what's stopping me from being baptized? He went down into the water. They both did, the Bible says, and they both come up out of the water, which is why we believe that baptism in the New Testament was by immersion, where it was dipping. You say, well, I always heard it was kind of sprinkling was baptism, too. There is a word in Greek used in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13, 19, 21, 1022, that means sprinkle. And that's how it's used in the Bible. They, they sprinkled the blood of the goats on the goats. And so if these guys that wrote the Bible, if God wanted to say, hey, it's, baptism is sprinkling, then they would have had the Greek word necessary to put that in there. But when you read it in all the passages in the New Testament, Acts, it's always baptizo, which is dip, immerse, or plunge. So that's why. That's why we as a church believe that baptism is an occasion of being immersed in water. It's what? It's, baptism is also this. Obs, baptism is an observable expression of our position in Jesus Christ. It, it visibly demonstrates the glorious spiritual work that God has done 
in us, and we're going to talk about a little bit more about that later. But that's what it is. It's observable. It's an observable, seen expression of our position in Christ. I'm going with all O's here. So baptism is operative in the name of the Trinity. Some people say, well, I read the book of Acts, and it says uh, to baptize them in Jesus' name. And some people would say, well, if, you're only, if you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, well, then you weren't baptized. You need to just be baptized in Jesus' name. Well, first of all, in the New Testament, it's always about, in the Gospels, it was the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It does say, and they were baptized in Jesus in the book of Acts. But there would be nobody in the book of Acts, in the new church, who would say that to believe in Jesus would be to deny the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. We believe that God is three in one. We believe in a trinity. It's very important. To not believe in the trinity is not to believe in the God of the Bible. God dwells in perfect unity, in three in one. And so it's kind of a, it, it is, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, demonstrating the reality of all three persons of the Godhead who are involved in your salvation, which should awe us, just a second. Say, so well, it sounds kind of like a lesson, a teaching lesson, Paul, but it is a little bit. But don't let the awe of the fact that the God of the universe knew you, called you, and was involved in your salvation. God the Father sent the Son, and then the Holy Spirit woke you up. It was all three parts of the Godhead that brought us to him. That should awe us. That we have a God like that. It is operative, the baptism is. That's why we say that when we baptize somebody. We also believe that baptism is only for believers, people who have accepted Christ, who have confessed Jesus Christ. Every New Testament example of baptism especially in the early church in the book of Acts, is always a baptism of a believer, somebody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we do not, at Cornerstone, baptize infants. Because every argument, every passage in the New Testament is about a believer, a, a, someone who knew and was able to confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus. So you say, well, in the Bible, the book of Acts, it says he was baptized... And his household. What does that mean? Of course they baptized infants. It says his whole household. That that is an assumption both ways. It's an assumption to say that uh, infants weren't in the household. And it's an assumption to say that infants were in the household. There is no clear evidence of that. What is absolutely true, though, is every baptism in the Bible is the baptism of a saved individual. Someone who's confessed Christ. And here's the argument why we don't baptize infants at our church. Even though there are great Christians who do, some phenomenal um, believers, and I would disagree with them on this, but they're still believers. So the argument is this, that in the Old Testament, the mark of coming into the covenant was circumcision. And so you marked the people who were in the covenant, in the family of God, by circumcision. And so they would say in the new covenant, the mark of the new covenant is baptism. And I would absolutely agree with them. The identification of a new believer is baptism. But what I don't agree with is that in the new 
In the old covenant, when they did circumcision, it was something done to someone to identify them in the body, in the nation of Israel, in the people of God. But in the New Testament, it's always by faith that we are identified into the new family of God. It is by faith. Not because you were born into a Christian family. The Bible talks about the new creation is by faith. Even everybody who was in Israel, the Bible says in the New Testament, was not part of the new Israel. So people who were circumcised in the Old Testament were placed into the the Old Covenant as the people of God. The Bible says in the New Testament that even some of them were not the people of God. The people of God have always been people of faith who've confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus. And then the mark of those people of God, I believe it's baptism, but it's a believer's baptism. It's after. It's not something that's done to you. The person that is receiving it has expressed a faith. It's a baptism is an expression of faith. It's a response of the person. Not something that is received. And even people who believe, and good Christians who believe in sprinkling their children, They believe it not for their salvation. They believe that they're putting them under the protection of God. And as they grow, they will have to come to a point when they profess with their mouth. And so even though they're sprinkled, that doesn't necessarily mean they're converted or that they've been changed. And so to me, it's an argument where ultimately, I think the trump for me is that the Bible talks about a baptism by faith. The person in the New Testament is expressed faith in Jesus Christ. And after they've expressed faith in Jesus Christ, they are immersed. And that's why we believe baptism is for a believer. It's a believer's baptism. It's a credo baptism. They've made their statement. I believe Jesus is Lord. I am going to be baptized. That's what baptism is. What is baptism is not? Baptism is not a means of justification. All through scripture. You do not Come to God through a work of baptism. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 1 Peter 3.21, which is Martin Luther, said this about this passage. It's the most wonderful, obscure text he knows. So I'm going to take you there and let you be obscured and confused with it too. Look at 1 Peter chapter. One, stay with me, because I'm going to preach about this in a second. I feel like I'm just kind of teaching this now. But uh, So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 3 says this. I'm going to start in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You'll say, well, what do you mean baptism doesn't save? 1 Peter 3 just says baptism saves you. Well, actually, it's saying it doesn't save you, is what the passage is saying. Because it says this. It says, 
Noah, while it was in the ark, and they were saved through the waters. The waters were death, but by being in the ark, they were saved. And he says, now baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience. The word appeal, is that's what faith is. It's an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's a demonstration. Noah going into the ark was a demonstration of his obedience to God. God said, build an ark. And he was carried, he built the ark, he was carried on the water, and he was brought safely back. Baptism is the same thing. It's a, an appeal to God of obedience by faith. It doesn't remove dirt from me, but it's an appeal of my obedience to God, that I would have a clear conscience before God, that yes, I believe you, God, so I will be baptized by faith. It's an appeal of faith. It's not a means of justification. For from the heart one believes, the Bible says, and is justified, and with the mouth, our confession is sown. It's by our hearts we believe. But baptism is an act of an obedience before God. It's a, it is a demonstration of our faith and an appeal to God. I believe you. So I'm going to go through the water for you. Baptism is also this. It's not a means of justification. It's not a check mark for parents. So let me encourage you parents who have young kids or grandkids and they made their little prayer to Jesus, and little kids love Jesus. Just because little kids love Jesus doesn't mean they're converted. I believe children can be converted. Just because your little grandchild prays his prayer at three or four, sings Jesus songs, talks about Jesus, you say, oh, i got to get them baptized. And then we'll check that off. And then they're good. And now I can sleep for the rest of my days. Because my child prayed the prayer, and we dunked him in water, and we're good. So whatever he turns out, it's all good. That's not the gospel. Children can receive Jesus. But don't make baptism just this, oh, I've got to get baptized, check it off. They did all the steps, and now we're good. And I think that happens. So baptism is not meant for that. It's not a check mark for parents. It's important. Baptism is also not a trivial matter. It is important that we sit here and we listen and we hear about baptism. Why does baptism matter? Well, what is the ultimate meaning of baptism? Baptism is an act of faith. Look, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Baptism is, it matters because it's an act of faith and it's a powerful proclamation. How is someone going to know you're in the faith? Baptism is that sign of initiation. It's a sign of, it's an, it's an identification, and it's your identity in Christ. Romans chapter 6, the passage we read earlier, Paul's writing to this church, these people, and he says to them, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, no way, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. He's not talking about water here. This is kind of a dry baptism. What he's saying is, you can't continue to sin if you're a Christian. Because don't you know that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been baptized into Christ. You've been buried with him in Christ. Your sins were on Jesus. He suffered the wrath of God for you. 
God's wrath was on you and is on you right now if you don't know Jesus. But if you know Jesus, God's wrath was on you. And so when Jesus died, you were with him. All your sins were with him. You were buried with him in death. It's a picture of death. And then you were raised again, just like Jesus was raised again, in resurrection. So he says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And that in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is what was done to us by the gospel. We were, our sins were put on Jesus, crucified, killed, they died. And then we gave great hope because Jesus rose again. It's a powerful thing. And, the, and all the church knew what they was talking about. When he said this, the early church was like, yeah, I remember. I know my baptism. Yeah, I was buried and I rose again. Exactly like my baptism. That's exactly right. I know what you're talking about. That's the picture. It's very important because the water pictured judgment. The waters of baptism are death. It's the death we deserved. It should take you back to Egypt when the nation of Israel walked through the waters safely and the nation of uh, Egypt followed after them and God crushed them in the waters and they were destroyed. It's a picture of Jonah who disobeyed God, decided to go his own way. And what did God do? He threw him in the water and kept him in the water three days. And then he was rescued and spit out. When you see the water of baptism, it is a picture of the death that we deserve to die. That because of our sin, we should be held under the wrath of God and the water and the cup of God. We were without hope. But because of what Jesus did for us, he rose out of the grave. All the wrath of God is gone. There's no water. There is no cup of God's wrath on you. When God turns the cup over, if you're a follower because of Jesus, there's nothing there. You stand there dry. That's the picture of the gospel in a baptism. It's extremely important. It matters. Colossians 2.13 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. There is unbelievable, listen, there's unbelievable great beauty in baptism. And so when we make it just this thing we tag on at the beginning or this thing, oh, the service is going to go an extra 10 minutes today because I got a baptism. We have missed it. It is the greatest sign of the beauty of God. It's the initiation of people. I'm in the faith. The wrath of God was on me and now it's gone. I want to let people know and I'm in the church. That's the beauty of baptism. It's a public expression of love, of faith, that, it's, that all of me is for all of him. And what was done to me, I don't deserve, but I am so thankful. That's what your baptism should mean to you. It, it, it absolutely matters, which then should make us remember our baptism. Do you remember your baptism? What that implies is that you know the gospel. So if you don't remember your baptism in the way I just described it, I want to call you to the gospel. You can receive Jesus by faith. Acts 
2.38 says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ. Have you been repentant? Have you seen your need for Jesus? Have you said, the way that I am going in my life is not leading me well? I, I feel guilt. I feel shame. There's condemnation. My path's not going well. Jesus says, there's a better way. I've made a way for you. And if you will repent, confess that you're a sinner, and trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he loved you so much that he took your sins, all the stuff that you ever did that you would never want me to know or never want anybody to know, the deepest, darkest, most wicked thought you've ever had. Jesus took all of that on himself. Can you imagine? I think we forget that. In our, we think that we deserve that sometimes. In our house, the trash is supposed to be my job. I'm supposed to take the trash out. When the trash fills up, it's supposed to be my job to take the trash out. At least Teresa thinks that. In my, I think in our house, her job is to make the bed. You know, if, the, the, if it's washed, you redo the bed. Man, I'm a selfish. Because if I, that's ridiculous. We both can do that. But imagine, Jesus says, every single time, I'm going to take your trash out for you. You don't deserve that. But I'm going to take all your trash out for you. I'm going to take it out all the time. I'm going to take out so much you never have to take out the trash again. If Teresa said that to me, I'd be overwhelmed <laughs> with joy. And if, she, if I said to her, you know what, I'm going to make the bed for you, and you know how many wash it, she'd be overwhelmed. That's what Jesus did for us. He took out all our trash. And he says, I'm going to take it out all the time. And every time you think you put more trash in there, it's still gone. Even when you can see it, it's still gone. It's always gone. Because I died on the cross for you. I suffered for you. I did it out of love for you. All I want you to do is see it and respond and accept it and believe in it. So have you remembered your baptism? It's the call of the gospel. If you haven't remembered, if you don't remember your baptism, if you don't remember saying to Jesus, I need you, I'm a sinner, I confess my sin to you, and I believe, I want you in my life, then remembering your baptism to you this morning is a call to receive it and do it and repent and be baptized. Remembering your baptism is also a confirmation of acceptance. For us. Remember when Jesus was baptized? He went into the water, and he came up out of the water. And when he was baptized, what did God the Father say to him from heaven? The Holy Spirit descended on a dove for him, and the Father said to him, This is my beloved Son, and who I am well pleased. So when you think about your baptism, and for some of us, we just got baptized so, just so flippantly, or we, we meant it, but it was kind of a, the, the way we did it, or the way the church presented it was kind of not that big of a deal, and I apologize for that. It's not the way it should have been. Because we are called to remember our baptism, because it is an absolute sign that we are in Christ it is a confirmation of acceptance that God has called us, that he is pleased with us, that we walk in a newness of life. When God looks at us, when he sees us forgiven, he sees Jesus and he loves us 
Even in the midst of the mess, even in the midst of our problems and our straying, he still loves us. So you remember your baptism, so when you're in the midst of sin, or when you're starting to feel Satan say to you, hey, you're not a Christian, hey, you're not really following, look, remember this, remember this what you did, remember this what you did, remember, you remember your baptism, and you say, you know what, Satan, leave me, my sin is washed away, I am accepted Fully in Jesus Christ. I was baptized. And I'm walking in newness of life. It is a confirmation of your acceptance in Christ. And it is also a confirmation of all that God is and all that God says. It's all about God's promises. We remember our baptism because it says God's for us that he loved us, that he died for us, that he cared so much about your messed up life, and he cared so much about my messed up life, that he would come and rescue us from sin. He said, and he said because of that, everything else that he says is also true. That's what baptism should remind you of. And you remember your baptism because it just confirms for you, yes, I was baptized because Jesus died for me and rose again. And I pictured that, and I am Alive in Christ. So as I'm laid off right now, and I don't have a job, as I'm going through all kinds of financial problems and stress, as the physical pain that I'm experiencing is overwhelming, as the emotional burdens that I'm dealing with, as the shame and the guilt that I'm experiencing, and all the past failures and fears of where I probably wish I would have been, or what I could have been. And that's on you. Remember your brokenness. And remember your baptism. Because in the midst of it, Jesus said, I see all of that. I know all of that. I know exactly what you're going through. But don't forget that I came and I died for you. And you were baptized. And that pictured my death and my resurrection. So that the financial stress you're going through doesn't mean I've abandoned you. The emotional pain you're going through doesn't mean I've abandoned you. The past failures and fears are gone. Remember your baptism. Remember who you are in Christ. It gives us our purpose, our position, and our peace. And God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. Because you were baptized in Christ. Christ. So remember your baptism. Have you been baptized? Have you been immersed? Have you demonstrated that? Have you confessed your sin and are believing in Jesus Christ alone? You want to just testify about that and share that publicly? I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to give you an invitation to come. To come and say, I want to be Baptized. I want to publicly identify that, yes, I am in Christ, and I want people to know, I believe, and I want to do this. Come see me in this invitation. And we can baptize. We're going to baptize you next week. You say, maybe, I'm not sure I'm in Christ. I want to know that. I want to know that I don't have to fear. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. I'm going to encourage you right now to confess your sin. Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died on the cross, he rose again, he can rescue you from your sin, and he can totally transform and change your life for his glory, so that you can remember your baptism, 
Remember your baptism and walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eyes closed. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and then we're going to sing the song, In Christ Alone, which is our hope. But maybe this morning, with no one looking around, you just need to say, you know what? I don't remember my baptism. First of all, I'm not really sure I'm a Christian. I don't really remember if I've confessed with my mouth to the Lord Jesus. I don't know if I've asked God to forgive me of my sin and asked Jesus to come into my life and let Jesus be the ruler of my life. I don't know if I've done that. You can do that right now. Just confess to Jesus that I want you in my life. Forgive me of my sin. Save me. Rescue me. And he will. And then let us know by come and be baptized. Or maybe you say, I don't remember my baptism. I don't know if I've ever been baptized the way that the Bible says. And I'd like to do that. I want to share that. I encourage you to come. We'd love to baptize you next week. Let's stand as we pray. Maybe you have any another need, just need some help with some prayer support or some encouragement. I'm going to encourage you, the prayer team's up here. I'll be up here, and we'll be glad to come. We're glad to pray with you. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that the God of the universe loved us so much that he would leave heaven, come down to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. You'd die on the cross for us, and you'd rescue us from our sin. And then you would give us the sign and seal and symbol of it by allowing us to express it through baptism. It's going to help us who have been our believers and have been baptized to remember our baptism and to enjoy rejoice in it. Lord, if there is someone here who is not a Christian, who is not a follower of you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict them, draw them to yourself so that we'd be able to celebrate them, celebrate with them in the baptism waters. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Stay right from the grave. He 